welcome to church. Glad to have you uh, in the house of God uh, with us uh, this morning. Hey, one thing I'm going to put on your radar just real briefly. Tonight, tonight at our uh, Seattle service, uh, the UW student newspaper is going to attend because they are writing an article about the church. And so... Um, I don't really know what type of article they are writing, but the Lord spoke to me like six weeks ago, I kid you not, uh, on the way home from one of our services, he just dropped a, like a word of knowledge in my heart. I, I heard the Spirit say to me, I'm sending the UW newspaper to write a story. And I said, okay, well, what type of story? And the Lord said, I am sending the UW newspaper to write a story. And so I said, all right, well. Let's see, and, and uh, last week, in fact, I got the message. Hey, we've heard about the church, and, and we'd like to interview you for our story. And I said, well, the only way that I will agree to an interview is if you attend service first. And so it took them a day or two, but finally they responded, and they said, fine, we'll agree, we'll attend a service, and we'll interview you in the green room afterwards. And so anyways, if you just be in prayer uh, about that tonight, I'm just convinced that even the Lord will take things the enemy meant for evil, he can use them for good. And so for me, it's like even when we get stuff written about us, people talk about us, even when it's negative, what it does is it actually raises the curiosity of the region. And people are like, yo, I got to check that out. I wonder if what they're saying is true. I wonder if that report is true. I got to see for myself. And so God has a funny way of using all sorts of things to bring him glory to expand the kingdom and to help the church advance. And so what we're actually asking for people tonight is if you could come out and join us. We need people just there in prayer and in worship this evening because I really want to set the atmosphere right. And I'm honestly believing that actually God, even in the service, by His Spirit, can so overwhelm some of these editors with the power and presence of God that the story they write completely changes just in a moment. Because when you see the beauty and the glory of Jesus, it transcends human knowledge. It speaks to the soul, to the spirit part of who you are. And I'm just so convinced that the presence and the power of God still has the ability to do today what it has done since the beginning of time. That when people get into the house of God, their lives are fundamentally transformed for the better. Hey, this morning uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And in doing so, we're going to look at chapter 19 where Paul finds himself on his third missionary journey, and in specificity, he is ministering in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a major port city in what was known as Asia Minor. Today, it's modern-day Turkey. It was home to a quarter million people in the first century, and it was considered to be the gateway city to the entire eastern world. It was a city of commerce and trade, culture, arts, and entertainment. Anything of value that would happen eastward would have to travel and pass through the gateway city of Ephesus. Ephesus, even in the first century, had stadiums that sat 25,000. It had libraries that rivaled any such thing in the known world. People from all over the empire would travel in and through this city for the exchanging of ideas, products, culture, and cash. In many ways, I believe Seattle and the region that we're in is the Ephesus of the 21st century. We are a city built by the water, a major port granting access to the world. 
We've got stadiums, theaters, temples, and businesses, and the world is coming to this region to experience what we've got. But I've got good news. Sometimes you go to the nations, and the other times the nations come to you. And just like Ephesus, God is bringing the nations of the earth to the Pacific Northwest for, I believe, an encounter with His presence that will ultimately transform them for all of eternity. And in Acts 19, Paul finds himself in this major city, not in a village, not in a town, not in a little fishing village, but the major entrance to the eastern world. Paul finds himself in this city preaching the gospel. And in Acts 19, starting in verse 11, we pick up in the middle of that story today. In verse 11, the Bible says this, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. I find it interesting that the author of Acts, who's a Gentile named Luke, who was writing about the early church and has no doubt seen the abundance of miracles that they are experiencing, is so shook by what he sees in the ministry of Paul that he takes time to make this note. It wasn't normal miracles. It wasn't regular miracles. It wasn't ordinary miracles. It was unusual miracles for an uncommon time that God was using to produce an unprecedented harvest. And in fact, in many ways, this church is an unusual miracle in the Northwest. And you, my friend, are an unusual miracle in your workplace. And the God that we serve is still taking the foolish things of the world to confound the wise just to prove that he is still in control and not looking for man's opinions on the limits of his power. And Paul operated in supernatural power because he was filled with a supernatural spirit, and that same spirit even now, it fills ordinary people for the release of an unprecedented harvest. Now God still does miracles today. And that shouldn't be a controversial statement, yet in some theological camps it is. As if somehow the Holy Spirit has lost his ability to empower people for the transformation of society. See, maybe the most miserable heresy in the last 500 years of Christendom is the notion that the Holy Spirit is no longer working miracles in the earth. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. He can be grieved. He can be mocked. He can be ignored. Or He can be welcomed. The choice is yours. And we don't just invite the Holy Spirit. We desire God's Holy Spirit because when you get the presence of God, you get everything else. And how did God work miracles in Acts 19? Watch. By the hands of Paul. And how does God work supernatural things today? By the hands of men and women just like yourselves all across this room. For the Bible says in Psalms 115, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man, meaning this, you've been given authority in this realm to conduct business on behalf of the king and his kingdom. You are not just a bystander. You are not just a watcher. 
You are not just a consumer. You are not just an attender. You are a participation, participant in an ever-advancing kingdom that is making all of hell pay for every year that he has stolen from the Northwest. And what were the unusual miracles that the Spirit was performing through the hands of Paul? In most churches today, we just settle for ordinary miracles. But what were the unusual miracles that Luke wrote about? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 12. So that even the handkerchiefs and the aprons were brought from Paul's body to the sick. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, why was Paul wearing an apron? Did he get confused and start shopping at Target? And why was Paul wearing an apron? Because it was the traditional work uniform of someone involved in the tent-making business. Let me show you a pic this morning. This apron was a symbol of his vocation. Watch. It was a sign of his labor. It wasn't a magic apron with special powers to heal the sick. It was an ordinary uniform that Paul would wear while he made ordinary tents for ordinary people. And yet in Acts 19, this ordinary becomes a vehicle for the extraordinary. And God takes the symbol of a man's vocation and uses it as a tool for his supernatural advancement. See, the apron had no significance until Paul stepped into it. The coat of many colors had no significance until Joseph stepped into it. But once the garment rested on their shoulders, it became a symbol of the grace and the anointing that God had placed on their lives. See, I want you to know your task, your job, your role, your employment, your marriage, it might not feel significant, but it became supernatural the moment you stepped into it. And if you let him, God will use it as a tool for the advancement of his kingdom. And the only reason that that apron carried a semblance of supernatural power is because someone had enough faith to believe it into existence. See, faith manifests on earth what already exists in heaven. For faith is the substance of things that are hoped for. It is the evidence of things that are unseen. Now watch, the principle of Acts 19 is not... Everyone come cut a piece of Russell's suit coat and take it to your unsaved loved ones so they can get healed. The principle is God honors a faith that pulls on heaven and believes for the impossible. Many years ago, I, I had the privilege of hosting a rather famous missionary lady who's originally from the Northwest who spent most of her life in the nation of India her name was Holda Buntain. Her and her husband, Mark, served in Calcutta, India for many years, working amongst the poorest of the poor, building schools and orphanages and houses and hospitals for people literally living amongst the dumps. And she happened to be in town when I was leading a young adult ministry in Bothell, and I thought to myself, 
I need to honor some of the legends who this world is not worthy of. Let them come in and minister and lay hands on young people because one of the signs of God's great outpouring in these last days is uniting the young and old for the purpose of revival and reformation. So I thought to myself, let me just get hold in here. Let me hear her share. I know she's going to speak a little different. Our worship culture is probably not what she's used to. I hope she doesn't have a stroke when the strobe lights go off. But let me just get hold in the room to prophesy, share, teach, and help inspire faith amongst the generation that I'm in and so she did and after she got done preaching I pulled her aside and I said hold on I know you got some miracles from the mission field would you just tell me maybe your top one or two crazy things that you have seen God do I need an infusion of faith in my own life and so she told me this story she said pastor many years ago my husband and I had traveled America raising money to build a school in Calcutta. And we had raised over a million dollars and it was every dollar that we had and we invested it into the construction of this school in one of the poorest cities of the poorest nations on earth. And she said I'll never forget getting the phone call one day from the contractor who said we need you on the job site immediately. There is a problem and this building ain't ever going to get built. And they showed up and they peered into the hole that was being dug for the foundation. And what the contractors discovered is that there was a river previously unseen on all of the studies that they had done that has filled that hole with water, making it impossible to build. They said, we know you spent money. We know you already hired the architects and the engineers. We know you already paid for the permits and hired the contractors and laborers. But what you are looking at is a hole that cost you a million bucks, and we ain't ever going to be able to build on it. <laughs> and they was just silent, not knowing what to do, not knowing what to say. This was the result of faith and many years of fundraising. They didn't have any backup money to start the project over in another place. And they really just didn't know what to do. And Holda told me that she looked over at her husband to see if he had any bright ideas. And she saw him reaching into his suit coat to take out the little pocket New Testament that he carried with him wherever he went. And she didn't know what he was going to do. Maybe he was going to read a eulogy. Here lies the dearly departed school vision, which now is dead, never to return. He took out that little pocket Bible. He found a piece of string on the ground. He tied the string around the Bible and began to lower it into the pit. She thought my husband lost his mind. The mission field broke him. What's he doing now? We've got no context for this. What does he actually think this is going to solve? And as dozens of contractors and local villagers peered into the massive pit that had been dug for the foundation of this grand school, as Mark Buntain lowered the Bible on a string into the pit, as soon as it hit the water in front of their eyes, every ounce of that river dried up. They built that school and it still stands there today. can't explain it. I'm not trying to build a theology around it, but I am here to tell you today, God honors a faith that pulls on heaven and believes for the impossible. And why would God use the apron of Paul? 
The same reason he used the staff of Moses. The same reason he used the sling of David. The same reason he used a little boy's lunch to feed the 5,000. And it's the same reason he uses you and I. Because God gets the most glory from people and situations that nobody in their right mind would ever choose. But this is the God that, that we serve. Now watch how the story continues, verse 13. Now some Jews, they, they went around driving out evil spirits, trying to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demonized. They would say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And one day the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know, Paul I'm familiar with, but who are you? And the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, I've been in some bad fights, but never a fight as bad as that. You lost your clothes. You ended up naked. You was bleeding head to toe, running scared for your life. <laughs> Can I tell you that this is the goal for Christian living? You are loved by the God of heaven and you are feared by the devil in hell. The Bible says that there were some Jews who run around driving out evil spirits. It was working for a minute. It seemed successful for a season. But there came a day where these Jews ran into a demon who was not impressed with their associations. They ran into a devil who did not care about their contacts. The evil spirit said, I've heard of Jesus and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? Oh, friend, I'm here to tell you today that what most shakes the principle and powers of hell is not your loosely based associations it is not your inconsistent attendance it is not your lukewarm living what most rattles the cages of darkness is a man or woman fully surrendered to the will of Christ Jesus who refuses to compromise with the culture give in to the world or give up on their convictions and when you're in trouble you better have a name with power that you can call on who has a track record of showing up. I'm not calling on Tony Robbins to save me with his motivation. I'm not calling on Richard Simmons to save me with his exercises. I'm not calling on Tom Cruise to save me with his witchcraft. I'm calling on Jesus to save me with his power. And watch. You only have authority to the degree that you have intimacy. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they was gripped with fear. And as a result, the name of the Lord Jesus, it was held in high honor. Now many of those who believed, they, they came and they openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery, they brought their scrolls together. They burned them publicly. When they had calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, or pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily, and it prevailed. I want you to see what the Bible says about the fear of the Lord, because it's helpful to have the right definitions as we explore this topic. 
Psalms 31, how great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 22, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Psalms 145, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. When scripture speaks about the fear of the Lord, it means to revere and rightfully esteem. See, when something is valuable, you treat it as such. When someone is valuable, you treat them as such. To fear the Lord is to understand His worth. And to understand His worth is to receive out of His abundance. And when you properly honor the Lord, it'll automatically restructure every other value system in your life. Paul doesn't tell the people to burn their scrolls. It is their natural response. The fear of the Lord grips a region and the people respond. We don't want anything to stand in the way between us and God. So every lesser idol that we have put faith in and every misplaced priority that we have established, we give it to God and we turn from our sin. The Bible is talking about a monetary metric that we don't use in our world today. It says that the total value of what they burned was 50,000 drachmas or, or pieces of silver. And a drachma equaled one day's wages. If you were to calculate this in today's dollars, it would look like this. The average salary of a person in Seattle is $75,000 a year. The average days worked by a person in Seattle, once you calculate weekends and vacation, is 250 days out of the year. If you were to divide 75,000 by 250, what it would tell you is that the average employee in the city of Seattle makes $300 a day. If you were to multiply $300 a day by 50,000 days of labor, that would equal $15 million of income. This wasn't somebody grabbing the used Harry Potter book from the Value Village bargain bin. This wasn't somebody grabbing a Ouija board from their neighbor's garage sale and lighting it on fire in order to feel spiritual. This was a $15 million bonfire in the middle of a pagan city because people encountered a God who heals, saves, and delivers, and they made a choice about the one that they wanted to serve. And so they said, we don't want anything to stand in the way. I know it's reflective of our labor. I know we bought these idols and trinkets with our hard-earned income. I know this represents our value system. I know it represents our priorities, but I have seen the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His reality has gripped my heart. His fear has consumed my life. And even though I don't understand all of the strange teachings of the Apostle Paul, I can't deny what I've seen. So I'm not headed to the church. I'm not headed to the conference. I'm not headed to the nonprofit spiritual club. I'm headed to the city center. I'm starting a fire and I'm offering this as a burnt offering unto God. You can have 
have all of my idols because every other God is an idol who cannot see and cannot hear, but we serve the one true living God and his name is Jehovah. And in verse 23, the story continues. And about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. For there was a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of the goddess Diana and brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. So he called them together with workers of similar occupation. He said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. And you see and you hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and all over the province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. This is a danger, not only to our trade, but this is a danger that it will cause us to lose our good name. But also that the temple of the great goddess Diana will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. The power of God and the fear of the Lord so grips the city that it disrupts the market of idolatry. To such an extent that a silversmith named Demetrius calls a meeting of all the merchants to complain about Paul. And what is the complaint of Demetrius? Paul says that God made by human hands are no gods at all. And that message, that truth, that reality, it is so terrifyingly real that it actually functions as a direct threat to our religious, political, and monetary systems. Hear me, friend. Anytime that you replace the creator with the creation, you will find yourself making gods out of human hands. See, we are image bearers. We are not image makers. So it is time to shift the focus of your worship from what your hands provide to what his hands have provided because gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And see, this is an example of one of the silver shrines that the merchants would make to honor their goddess, Diana. And who was this goddess, Diana? It was the multi-breasted goddess of fertility, sexuality, and lust, who the people of Ephesus would worship through acts of prostitution all throughout the temple. Hear me loud and clear this morning. We may not have merchants making silver trinkets in the market, but we have idols of sexuality that are still worshipped in the culture today. But I'm here to tell you, the spirit of Ephesus has awakened the sleeping giant of the church, and this is just the beginning of the market disruptions that are to come. The culture worships the goddess Diana, but I have it on good authority that she is losing her good name, her temple is being discredited and the false demon is being robbed of their divine majesty and why must the power of God flow in our lives 
Because there are some markets that need to be disrupted. And why does the fear of God need to operate in our lives? Because there are some tables that need to be flipped. I am not looking to placate the pagan worship of our culture. I am looking to wreak havoc on the prosperity of the enemy and re-inherit the people of God. May it be said of the people of God in the Northwest that we did not bow at their music. We did not salute their flag. We refuse to aid in the prosperity of their paganism, but our allegiance belongs to Jesus, for there is no king, there is no authority, there is no mandate, and there is no kingdom like the one that comes from above, the one who is seated at the right hand of the Father, enshrined in glory, worshiped by angels and elders. That one has a name, his name is Jesus, and at his name, demonic bondage is broken, lies are disempowered the enemy goes running in seven directions and the city is set free by the power of God Paul's relationship with God is so tangible it's so real that it actually has an impact in the marketplace of his day I am convinced the enemy does not care how big our church is as long as we stay inside of it. As soon as you begin to allow the Spirit of God, which rests residentially inside of you, to begin to stir you up to faith and good works all around you, what you will begin to see is the demonic strongholds that have captured the affection of a city begin to loosen in such ways that it makes the doorkeepers of idolatry nervous that they are operating on borrowed time. So a silversmith named Demetrius got offended that Paul said, gods made by human hands are no gods at all. So he called a meeting in the marketplace, still smelling the smoke from the bonfire of the trinkets he used to sell. And says to himself, my God, what will we do with these men who turn cities upside down? When the power of God is released through the people of God, the reverence of God comes upon a region. And when the reverence of God comes upon a region, people reveal their hearts. In doing so, it exposes their idols. And the net result is a laying down of our way in order to choose God's way. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to dismantle the works of darkness. And as he was, so are we. May God raise up a market-disrupting church in the Northwest who is unafraid of calling out the gods that are made by human hands because we know the one who holds our future, who framed our universe, and who by his spoken word still upholds our destiny. Come on, would you stand as we close this morning? The enemy gets nervous every time you come for his stuff. He thinks he owns the Pacific Northwest. 
He thinks that this region is lost in New Age syncretism. He thinks that this region is lost in the pagan worship of sexuality. He thinks that this region belongs to him. But I am telling you, there is a sleeping bride that is beginning to wake up. And the lion of the tribe of Judah is marching through the streets of Snohomish, Seattle, and beyond. And he is coming for an inheritance of lost souls, prodigal sons and daughters. And at his name, idols are consumed, hearts are revealed, and people are born again. No, that is why we exist, to do violence against the kingdoms of darkness and to advance the kingdom of light. And there has never been a better time than now to be alive. God, we pray that even like in the day of Acts 19 and in the city of Ephesus, how your word grew and it prevailed, how your spirit called men and women to account, how it disrupted the very economic engine of a city because there was a higher value that was established in that place. Oh God, may that be the reality in the Pacific Northwest. That as we uphold you for who you are, that as we rightfully esteem, value, and honor the preeminence of your personhood, that God, your glory would cover this place even as the waters cover the sea. And in doing so, you would lift off the demonic blinders that have kept people held back from encountering the glory and the presence of King Jesus. Oh God, we pray for a holy confrontation even like Elijah had with the prophets of Baal who when he prayed the fire of God fell, it consumed the foreign altars and it reinstituted the worship of Jehovah. Oh God, we pray that the same power that the disciples walked in would be the same power that this church walked walks in and you would perform not just ordinary miracles, not just regular miracles, but unusual miracles through this house. And in doing so, you would bring in a harvest of souls. We say, God, pour out your spirit and release your harvest like never before. We call Seattle saved. We call Snohomish saved. We call Kirkland saved. We call the University of Washington saved. And we say the gods made by human hands, they are crumbling all around us. But the God who is the uncreated one is high and he is lifted up. So God, we say do your best work. And may every sign, wonder, and miracle performed in this place point directly back to you as people come into the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus. Families transformed, marriages transformed, businesses transformed, college campuses transformed. Oh God, even on this day, as we celebrate the outpouring of your spirit, we say, God, do it again. And may the wind of your spirit blow and the fire of your spirit fall. We'll give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen.